Last week, by the grace of God, we spoke about resurrection of the dead. For the one who died in Christ, there is hope. Hallelujah. And we're going to find out from scripture that not only does the one who died in Christ have hope, but even we who are alive and remain in Christ unto his coming, we also have hope. We have titled our message this morning, The Believer's Hope. Tell your neighbor, The Believer's Hope. In other words, when I say believer, I'm talking about the one who is born again. The one who has given his or her heart to Christ. Not just believing in the gospel and just stopping there. It is not enough to believe. The Bible says the devils also believe and tremble. But when I say the believer, suffice it to say I am referring to the one who has believed the gospel and has confessed confess the lordship of Jesus over his or her life. The one who is born into the kingdom of God. The one who is a child of God. The one who has the very life of God on the inside. You are a son, a daughter of God. Verily. Hallelujah. That person has hope. Different from the hope that we have in this life. And we'll find out from the scriptures as we move on. But let's take it up from where we left off last week, Sunday, during the concluding portion of our message, Resurrection of the Dead, we looked at 1 John chapter 3, the verses 1 through 3. Can we go back to 1 John 3 as we take it up from there today? 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, other version says, has given to us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed. The King James says, it has not, it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Before we go to verse 3, remember last week Sunday we said that we are already like him on the inside. So when the Bible says that we shall be like him, he's referring to we shall be like him on the outside. We identified last week Sunday that Jesus Christ is the, the firstborn from the dead. The only person so far who has the glorified body. The only person who has that incorruptible body. Flesh and bones. is an immaterial body. It is not the same as our vile body. Our lowly body. Our corruptible body. Our mortal body. It's a different body. It is, it is dignified body. A dignified body. Hallelujah. That is the hope of the believer. And we will discover from scriptures. Or from the scriptures that as you live in this life and you have hope for better living, hope for good marriage, hope for good business, hope for whatever you want to you know enjoy in this life, which God endorses. We'll find out from scripture. God endorses. God is not against our enjoyment in this life. Take note. But it is not enough to just live for this life and that alone if you don't have hope. Of this glorified body that awaits all of us. If our Bible calls it our new tabernacle, our, our residence, our body, our temple, that is the hope of the believer. Hallelujah. So we'll, we'll, we'll continue. Let, let me read from verse 4. Verse 4 says, or verse 3 rather, verse 3 says, And everyone who has this hope, the last line of verse 2 says that. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, some say this hope. There are different kinds of hope. Some have hope for, no, hope to travel and do well in overseas. There is nothing wrong with that. Hope to get a better marriage, a married partner, husband or wife. There is nothing wrong with that. Hope to continue your education 
and get your PhD and become a professor. There's nothing wrong with that. Hope to, you know, upgrade your life. Hope to get good finances, get a good accommodation. There is nothing wrong with all the hope that we have in this life. In fact, God endorses it. He wants us to use our faith to materialize that hope. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So, we use our faith now to ensure that the things we hope for materialize. Are you there? But there is a different kind of hope. The Bible calls it this hope. And we will discover the details of that kind of hope. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And last week Sunday, I drew your attention to the fact that this is the reason why when you find a believer, a born again child of God, one who is the righteousness of God, when you find that individual living in sin, it is simply because the individual hasn't discovered his hope yet, nor is that individual living in hope of seeing Jesus and becoming like him. The concept of sin in church shouldn't have been if we would draw the church's attention to the fact that we are not supposed to just live for this life, but also for the one to come. Are you there? When you find a believer sinning, it is simply because he has no hope of seeing Jesus. That is why the Bible says where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. They cast off restraint. That, that's one of the renderings of one of the versions. They cast off restraint means that they remove the boundaries. When there is no vision, there is no boundary. You live anyhow. You do anything like every other person. But when there is a vision, the vision is that one day I'm going to see Jesus. One day I'm going to be like him. I am already like him on the inside, but I'm going to be like him on the outside. If you have that vision, you put boundaries, hallelujah, into your life. You don't go where everybody goes. You don't do what everybody does. You don't sing what everybody sings. You don't dance what everybody dances. Are you there? This hope is what will make us live right. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, he says that follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. No man shall see the Lord. Are you there? I told you last Sunday in, in Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 for instance, it says blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see the Lord. Hallelujah. You will see the Lord. If you have this hope in you, you purify yourself just as he is pure. Maybe at the appropriate time, one day when God gives us the opportunity for us to treat this subject in detail, we can talk about it. This can encourage somebody who is struggling with sin that the only way to overcome the struggle with sin is to live in hope of his coming. If you don't have this hope, you can cast off his train and misbehave like any other person in the street. Hallelujah. Can you turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Before we read Philippians 3, 20 and 21, the question is, what is this hope? Maybe somebody will ask, what is this hope? Can I tell you, the Greek word that was translated, this hope, I, I, I wrote it down here. It says, it's a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Someone say, a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. It means to anticipate with pleasure. You are not anticipating evil. You are anticipating something pleasurable. Something wonderful. So, I said here, to wait for salvation with joy and full confidence. The question is, which salvation? That's what somebody may ask. Never forget that our salvation, the Bible calls it great salvation. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How great is the salvation we have received in Christ? It is in, it is in three packages. When you believe the gospel and confess the lordship of Jesus Christ as, I mean, over your life, you were born again. Your spirit was recreated. Your, your spirit was born again. Your spirit was saved from sin. Are you there? As we grow in Christ, we are saved in our souls through the renewing of our minds. Because our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. So, salvation begins in your spirit. You are saved in your spirit. You are being saved in your soul through the renewing of your mind. 
This is the reason why the subject of renewing of your mind cannot be overemphasized. I believe that as time goes on, God will give us renewing of your mind part three. Because from time to time, we need to check ourselves how far we have come. Whether we are still thinking like when we were in the world or now we have grown so close to Christ. Are you there? Because if he's changing us from glory to glory, you should be able to look at your life and see how far you have come. That the things that you used to do, the way you used to think, the way you used to behave, you realize that, ah, you've come a long way. Now you're no longer behaving like that. That is growth. Hallelujah. We are saving our spirits. We are being saved in our souls through the renewing of our minds. And ultimately, this is the glorious one. Ultimately, we shall be saving our bodies. Bible calls it the redemption of our bodies. Hallelujah. So this is the great salvation. So we, we were saved, and you'll find out from scripture very soon, we were saved to live in this hope. A child of God who is saved and who wants to settle here and live for this life alone is hopeless. In fact, the Bible says he is of all men most miserable. Alright. So have you gotten the definition of hope? I said it is a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. In other words, the consummation of our salvation. The salvation has been purchased for us. We are saved. But God gave a guarantee that he's going to consummate that salvation by giving us of his spirit. His spirit is a guarantee. One day I will teach that as a subject. His spirit is a guarantee that one day he will come and finish what he has purchased. It is like you go and buy something, okay? And you didn't, you didn't make the full payment, okay? Or, yeah, you didn't make the full payment or you, you cannot take the property away because you want to do something it's like Jesus said, I'm going to my father and prepare a place for you. So before I can carry this gadget to my garage, I need to go and prepare the garage and create room for it. So you just keep this property with you. Though I've bought it, but keep it with you. And the guarantee that I'll come for this property is my spirit. So he gave us of his spirit as a guarantee that one day he shall come and finish what he began. Hallelujah. In our physical bodies. We are already saved in our spirit. We shall be saved finally in our bodies. How many believe that? If you're a believer, then you must have this hope in you. Praise the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, turn with me to Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Oh, I like this one. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship, the King James says, Our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. Did you hear that? My citizenship, your citizenship is not going to be in heaven. We're not going to be citizens in heaven when we arrive there. We are already citizens of heaven. Say, my citizenship is in heaven. Child of God, when you wake up and it feels like, where am I going to get the supply of my needs? Don't forget that God doesn't supply his, I mean, your need according to the economy of the nation that you live in. He supplies all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Your citizenship is in heaven. Look at what happens. From which we also eagerly, and that word, take note of that word. Someone say eagerly. That is, that is blissful expectation. Not just, oh, when he, if he says you can let him come. No, we, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. We are not just waiting in hopelessness. We are waiting in eagerness. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. That it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Are you seeing how God will do the change? He will transform our lowly body. The Greek word translated lowly here has to do with dying body, corruptible body, vile body. A body that is subject to decay. A body that many times we so glory in and pride ourselves in. But when God looks at us, have you heard of people who have had, you know, near-death experiences before? I have heard of countless experiences like that where they exited their physical bodies and then they had the opportunity to walk the streets of heaven. They saw the glory of heaven where our citizenship is. And then, peradventure, for whatever reason, 
God allowed them to come back into their bodies. Many times, such people, when they are entering their bodies, they, they begin to wonder, is this the same thing that I used to live in that I was so proud of and celebrated? It is like giving you, you know, maggots. Let's say there's a maggot here and it's huge and you are asked to put your body into maggot. You feel that, mm, this thing, so should I go inside? That is the way you look at the body. When you exit it and you are entering it, you are to enter this body. If you are to enter this body, you discover that, oh, so this is the thing that we pride ourselves. It's a lowly body. It's a vile body. It's a corruptible body. It's a dying body. Why? Because of the fall. Some say because of the fall. We will even discover in Romans chapter 8, as we go on, we will discover that not only this body that has been subjected to corruption, in fact, all of creation has also been subjected to corruption because of the fall. Such that creation is waiting for our unveiling, the revealing of the sons of God. When we are changed, then creation will also enter its true glory. That is to tell you that many of the things that we appreciate, look, look at creation. You look at the beauty of the sky, the beauty of the trees, the beauty of everything. God says, that is not the real thing, no. What we see and we admire is actually not the original creation. It has been reduced in glory. It has been depressed. In fact, the Greek word translated is depressed. Everything has been subjected to corruption and is groaning in pain, in labor, waiting for its liberation. And nothing will be liberated until we are first liberated from this dying and lowly body. We must await eagerly the coming of Jesus. Hallelujah. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So, he wants us to be like him on the outside. This lowly body will now be conformed to his glorious body. He wants us to be like him. That is what we saw in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. For when we shall see him, we shall be like him. And it will happen. There is nothing in this world that can change this order. Whether dead or alive. Last week we saw that there is the dead in Christ will rise first. And we're going to see it very soon. Then we who are alive will be changed. And together we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Somebody say glory be to God. It is there. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me show you. First Thessalonians chapter 4. The verses 13 through 18. Oh glory be to God. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Paul writes and says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that is those who are dead in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Did you hear that? Just lift up your eyes, your hands for one second. Let me show you something. God is not saying that it is wrong for a believer to sorrow when another believer passes. That's not what he's saying here. After all, we know from the book of Acts that when somebody like Stephen, the first martyr, when he was stoned to death, the Bible says the believers, the saints made a great lamentation. They cried because of the loss of Stephen. So there is nothing wrong when a believer passes on and another believer is crying, there is nothing wrong with that. Is that okay? God is not condemning sorrowing. But he's saying that don't do it as those who have no hope. Don't make it look like once this person is gone, it's a hopeless situation. For we have hope. Whether dead or alive. Hallelujah. So, let me take verse 13 again. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. He will. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, take note of the phrase here, we who are alive and remain, until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. God is showing us an order here. 
There are two things I want you to take note. Those who are, who are alive. It's not just everybody who is alive, but he's referring to those who are alive and remain. Remain where? Remain where? In Christ. Remain in the faith. So it's not enough to be alive. That is why the rapture, which we call the rapture, being caught up, will not affect everybody just because they are also alive. But those who are alive and remain in the faith, in the Christian faith. Why do I say so? Because in 1 Timothy chapter 4, from verse 1, you can take your time and read that portion of scripture. The Bible says that the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with hot iron, forbidding people to marry, commanding people to abstain from me, which God has instructed that we should bless and eat. He says, some shall depart from the faith. So, there are two categories of people who are alive. There are those who remain in the faith and there are those who depart from the faith. Are you there? That is why that theory of once saved, forever saved, is not scriptural. I said what? The theory of once saved, forever saved, is never scriptural. Some years ago in the university, I had, I had opportunity to get a hold of some big, big books. Very fat books from Asia. Somewhere in Asia. Big, big books. I'm telling you. By the time I read all those books, I was getting confused. Because the man was trying to use scripture to prove that once you are saved, you are forever saved. And I'm like, this was not how I was brought up. How come? These are thick, thick books with all the scriptures. And if you see his degrees, he has all the degrees. So you are likely to accept just because it's a fat book with all kinds of quotations quoted there. But hey, Satan too has his inspiration. He can inspire people and mislead people. Never believe the theory that, oh, once I'm saved, no matter what I do, once the rapture takes place, I want to go. It's a lie. We who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. That is the criteria. Hallelujah. Verse 15 again. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means, we are not going to take, we are not going to go before those who are dead in Christ. We will by no means precede those who are asleep. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Take note. For the Lord will do what? Himself. He will descend from heaven. Can I explain something here? This descent of the Lord is not descent onto the earth. There is a difference between the descending of the Lord Onto the earth and then the descending of the Lord in the air. Here the Bible is talking about he descending from the heavens but he is in the air. Are you there? Yes. After we are caught up and after we have been appeared before the judgment seat of Christ for a period of about seven years. Okay. In heaven there will be no time. But for those who live on earth it will be a period of about seven years. That period Many things will go on, which by the grace of God, next week when we are treating the judgments of Christ, we will start enumerating, okay? So whilst in heaven, it will be a period of about seven years here on earth. Then after the period of seven years, we, together with Jesus and the angels, will descend from heaven to the earth. And according to scripture, we will land on Mount Olivet, where Jesus ascended from, when he was ascending in chapter 1. We will descend now to the earth. And many things will follow. We will, we will treat all those things in the next two weeks. Somebody say hallelujah. But here, he says that for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Meaning that the Lord will give a commanding shout. I wish that somebody would give a commanding shout this morning. With a shout, with the voice of an archangel. And with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first which we treated last week Sunday, resurrection from the dead. Then, somebody say, then. So two things are happening here. Then, we who are alive and remain. Did you see it again? Not just alive, but remain. God is very mindful of his choice of words. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Some say caught up. That is what we have referred to as the rapture. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Together with who? Those who rose first. The dead in Christ who rose first. They will 
rise first at the first trumpet sound. We will see it very soon in another scripture. And then at the second trumpet sound, we will be changed and together we shall be caught up. Oh, with them in Bible says here, we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Oh, this is not aeroplane. This is your physical body going in the air. To meet the Lord in the air. Someone said to meet the Lord. So the Lord is not descending to the earth. He is in the air. He comes into the air. It's like an overseer. He watches everywhere. And at his shout with the voice of the archangel. And at the first trumpet sound. The dead in Christ rises first. Which we treated last week Sunday. If you don't have the message. Go back to that message. Resurrection from the dead. Today I believe it's available. We'll post it on, on YouTube. Hallelujah. But it's already available on Facebook. Then at the second trumpet sound, we're going to see very soon, we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And then we shall, together with those who rose first, be caught up. By what magnetic pool will we be cut, caught up? I'm asking the question, by what magnetic pool? We don't know, but we just know that just like Jesus Christ ascended all by himself, irrespective of gravi gravitational pool, so shall we be caught up. Hallelujah. This tells you that in our glorified state, there is nothing like natural law. The natural law of gravitation will not work on us. Are you there? Let me say, no one pay we cry and I'll pay them. I asked that question last week. Which one do you want? Yo. <laughs> then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Someone say, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. What does that mean? It means that if the Lord is in heaven, we are with him. If he's coming back from heaven to the earth, we are with him. If he's reigning a thousand years, we are with him. At the white throne judgment, we are with him. And forever we shall be with him. Hallelujah. Oh, glory be to God. Then in verse 18, it says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. When we are treating the next two subjects, the judgment seat of Christ and the white throne judgment, you will discover that there is another portion in, in I think, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where he still told us, comfort one another with these words. There is a reason for comfort. God is telling you and me that, hey, we have not been appointed to go through the wrath that the rest of the world will go through. That is why he says, comfort one another. We have hope, whether dead or alive. Hallelujah. Somebody say, praise the Lord. 1 Thessalonians First Corinthians, rather, 15, which we looked at. We looked at some portions last week, and today let's go there again. First Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 54. Glory be to God. Paul writing in First Corinthians 15, 51, it says, Behold. The word behold is a very strong word. It means see. Pause here and meditate. That's what he's saying. Behold. I tell you a mystery. The Greek word is mysterion. Mysterion means hidden secret. Child of God, there is a hidden secret. Hallelujah. Be Behold, I tell you a mystery. Then he said, we shall not all sleep. It's a mystery. Yes, we are all children of God. But it doesn't mean that if you want to leave this earth, then it means you must die before you go to heaven. I, I dare say from this pulpit that this theory, if it's not changed, listen, if we do not change that theory that it is appointed unto man once to die, so when people want to go to heaven, all they are looking for is that they must die before they go to heaven. If we do not change it, God will allow all those who are expecting death to go through death. The generation that will believe and what towards life and believe that God's original exit door from this earth is life. That is the generation that will see the rapture. We have preached this message wrongly because all over the world, all we keep saying is that it is appointed unto man once to die. And therefore, we believe that a believer must die before he goes to heaven. Hey, death is an enemy. It is not God's original method of taking us from here. When he wanted to take Enoch, he took him by life. In his natural body. When he wanted to take Elijah, he took him by life. In his natural body. God's original method is life, not death. It is just like what happened under the old covenant. Let me give you a picture as we go on. Under the old covenant, when they journeyed from 
Egypt through the wilderness. Before they go to the promised land, there were two categories of people. Before they go to the promised land, they, they, Moses sent 12 spies. Is that right? 12 spies to go and spy the land and see how the land fared. There were two kinds of reports. Two people, Joshua and Caleb, came with a report that, hey, the land is truly full of milk and honey. Yes, it is true there are giants in the land, but they are bread for us. Look at their language. They are what? Bread for us. We will eat them up. Let us go up at once. Because they are nothing. We can overcome. That was faith in action from Joshua and Caleb. Unfortunately, the ten who were in the majority poisoned the minds of all the people. They kept on saying, that, yes, it is true that the land is full of milk and honey, but these giants, we were like grasshoppers in their side, and so were we. They saw us as grasshoppers, and we saw them as giants. We cannot overcome them. And the Bible said that all the people began to weep in the camp. Then Joshua and Caleb said, what are you doing? What is the meaning of that? Hey, they are bread. Let us go up at once. We can conquer. I'm telling you, all the people, according to the scripture, the adults who should have taken the lead started crying. Moses, were there no grace in Egypt? Why have you brought us here for us to perish? We remember the garlic. We remember the onion. We remember the cucumber. We want to go back to Egypt. And according to scripture, because of that kind of confession, mind your confession, child of God. I said what? Mind your confession. Because of that kind of confession, in fact, God told them in Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, it says, as I live, mm, as you have said in my ears, that is what I will do. We got that scripture, but if you look at it in context, God was actually saying that you have said you want death. Okay, so shall it be. Go and read Romans, Numbers 14, and you will see that it, we quote that scripture. Yes, we can apply it with life also. But in context, in Numbers 14, God was saying that as long as I live, so long as you are saying you want death, death, so shall it be. So a journey that was supposed to have been 40 days ended up being 40 years. Why? Because God said that once you say you want death, I will allow you to wander in the wilderness until all those who confess death will go through death. Did you hear that? So it is, it is their choice that God gave them. It was not the will of God that they should spend 40, 40 years in the wilderness. The Bible says that God allowed them to stay for 40 years to prove what was in them. When you go through hard times, mind what you say with your tongue. Are you there? Because you will either make progress or impede yourself with your tongue. So what happened under the old covenant was that all the people, the Bible says, perish in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb and their children who were below 20 years. They entered the promised land. The question is, why should it be like that? Can I tell you, by revelation of scripture, that, that's, that is what is going to happen to the church? Can I say that again? I said, can I tell you by revelation that that is what is also going to happen to the church? The generation that says that it is appointed unto man once to die. So we must die before we go to heaven. God will allow it. I'm telling you, he will allow it because that is their tongue saying we want death. So go through it. But a generation that will discover that, hey, our exit door is not death, but it's life. And we are working towards life. And we are saying, come Lord Jesus. And we are working towards that goal. And we are hoping for his coming. That generation will see the rapture. May you be one of that personalities in that generation. In the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't know who I'm talking to now. But I pray the whole world will hear this. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 again. Let me go there. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So, if anybody tells you that everybody shall die, tell them we shall not all sleep. Even if it doesn't happen in your time, at least you believe the truth. Listen, the man who wrote this, didn't he sleep? Poor the apostle. He slept a long time ago. But that's what the mystery God gave him. And it is for eternal generations, including you and me. So if they say that all shall die, tell him we shall not all sleep. Glory be to God. But we shall all be changed. Some say we shall all be changed. If you look at the new King James, there's a hyphen there. Am I right? If you look at the King James Bible, if you're using King James Bible, what is that punctuation mark? It's a comma. All right. This tells you that verse 51 is connected to verse 52. So, Let's read verse 51 into verse 52. You'll see how it will happen. Be behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. So it is the change of the believer that will happen in a moment. Then he said, what? In the twinkling of an eye, at the blink of the eye. 
Can you blink your eye? Let me see. Just blink your eye. It's a split of a second. Within a split of a second, we shall be changed. Listen, this is the reason why when you are looking at your life, you say, hey, so when will life change? Listen, if this mortal body can be changed from mortality to immortality within a split of a second, your change can happen suddenly. I say your change can happen suddenly. Don't underestimate the power of God on the inside. Don't think that, ah, so am I going to go through A, B, C, D? Hey, if mortality can be changed to immortality within a split of a second, anything is possible. That is the faith we should use and change our story. Instead of crying, say, hey, so when will I now start again? You can start and finish the same day. That is our God for you. Glory be to God. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Did you see that? At the what? So there are two trumpet sounds. The first trumpet sound causes the dead in Christ to rise first. And at the second trumpet sound, which is the last trumpet, we shall be changed. Look at it. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. So, if you connect 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 54, to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, you will see that there are two things that are pictured here. There is a, there's a shout of the Lord with the voice of an archangel and then there's a trumpet sound and the dead in Christ rises first. Then, at the second trumpet sound, we are changed. And together with those, because when they rise, they will not be caught up. Are you there? When they rise from the dead, it's like we are waiting for the next phase. Then we shall be changed. Then together, we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. If you've never boarded any plane before, please don't worry. This flight, you don't need any, any aeroplane. You don't need any pilot. You are going there by yourself. And there is no turbulence. There is no dizziness. Hey! I don't know who I'm talking to now. Hmm. Verse 53, right? For this corruptible must. Someone say it's a must. Don't live for this life. This corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Say, someone said, this mortal. Listen, I will show you a scripture. The next scripture, okay? Yeah, the next scripture will reveal something. The next scripture, you will see Paul talking about the fact that we don't, we are not desiring to die. We are not saying that we should put off this mortal body so that one day we shall have our glorified body. But rather, we want mortality to be swallowed up by life. The dead in Christ, they are dead. They are, they are, de their body has decayed and has gone into its original elements. But at the first trumpet sound, God will assemble. Or reassemble all the original elements into the, the way the body used to be. And they will be raised first. Then at the second trumpet sound, we shall be changed. And the change is said that it is not like you are going to put off this body and put on another body. Rather, it is immortality. Swallowing mortality. The Bible says that is when the saints shall come to pass. That death is swallowed up in victory. Why? Because death is in this body. But death will be swallowed up. Hey, do you know what it means to swallow? You see, sometimes you are threatened by death. But when life swallows death, it is victory for the church. I say it's victory for the church. I feel like running today, I'm telling you. Hmm. So when this corruptible has... Am I there? Verse 53 again, eh? Okay, 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death! Is swallowed up in victory. Please don't fear death. Hallelujah. Death is going to be swallowed up in victory. The last enemy that shall be destroyed, the Bible says, is death. But at the rupture, at the point of our chain, death is going to be swallowed up in victory. In other words, death no longer has control over the glorified body. We do not die any longer. I used to say some years ago, I do not die. Listen to my words. I'm choosing my words carefully. I didn't say, I shall not die. I said, I do not die. I do not die means that I just know that one day I shall live to see the coming of the Lord. Because there must be a generation that's expecting that. And what stops me from expecting that? Why should I leave it for the next generation? When in my generation we can start it? I said our generation will start this. Hallelujah. Our generation are not going to see death. We're going to see his coming. Hallelujah. 
Don't say, oh, mommy, I'm 70 something, I'm 80 something, and so what? Go and ask Caleb. Caleb say, hey, I was young at 40, I was given a promise, even at 85, I am still as strong as when I was 40. I'm going up at once to possess my possession. Go and ask somebody like Moses at 120. The Bible says that his natural eyes, his natural force was not abated, and his sight was not dim. If God says that you will live to see his coming, you will live to see his coming. It doesn't matter your age. Age is inconsequential here. Hallelujah. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5. Let me show you that scripture. 1 to 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Oh, look at what the apostle he says. For we know. Do you know it? He said, we know that if our earthly house, that's your body, this tent, did you hear what he calls it? He calls this body earthly house and he calls it tent. If our earthly house, this tent, is, dis is destroyed, we have a building from God. Say, I have a building from God. A house not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. We have a building. Hallelujah. For in this we groan. In this body, we are groaning. Have you gone through some moments of pain before? It's, it's normal. So long as you live in this body, this body is like a cage. This body is like a trap. This body is like a, it's a great limitation. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Did you hear that? Oh, that the 21st century generation will have this endless desire as well. Endlessly desiring. Do you know what we are doing? We are not desiring. We don't have this hope. We, say, we tend to leave it to chance. I say to say, whenever God wants to come, he should come. It's not like that. You will find out from scripture that God will not come just because he wants to come. There must be a corresponding action from the church that will release his coming. I will show you the scriptures. He will not just come because he says he wants to come. After all, he's been ready long time ago. When we treat repentance from dead work first Sunday in August, that is 5th August, you will discover that, hey, he has been ready long time ago. He is just long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If God should come today, I'm telling you, many believers will be taken on our ways because we are not longing for his coming. We are just living as if we are indifferent. Why should it be like that? Hallelujah. Amen. Yo. Ay, 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 ay. Where am I, please? Verse 2 again. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Verse 3. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. It's a powerful statement. Because you will see that in, in next week's teaching, um, the judgment seat of Christ, you will discover that after some of us have been clothed with our hearts from heaven, you realize that, oh, I was naked. I was plain. So this one is a question mark there. I was plain in my next teaching. If I forget, just remind me that you said you were explained this thing because it is connected to the judgment seat of Christ. Hallelujah. Alright. Verse 4. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened. Oh, when will it become a burden for you to see or desire to see Jesus. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. Did you, did you see that? It's not that we desire to be unclothed. In other words, we are not desiring to die. <clears throat> but further, but further clothed. That is the point. Not that we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. It is like you have a cloth and then you put another cloth upon. Are you there? Not that we want to remove this mortal body and now put on our glorified body at the resurrection. No. We are talking about what's in this clothes. We want to be clothed upon. That is a but not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Did you see God's method of taking us from here to heaven? It is by life. Don't say by life. Not by death. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. It shall happen in my time. It shall happen in my generation. Glory be to God. Have I finished the scriptures? Alright. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay. Let me just connect this by life to Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4 and you will see another picture there. Colossians 3. 
Colossians chapter 3 from verse 1 through 4. Paul said, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your mind. The King James says, set your affection. I want to ask a question. Where is your affection? Set your mind. Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth. When we were growing up, there was a statement from a preacher that I didn't like. I used to question it to my spirit because anytime he said it, it did something wrong in my spirit. I just felt that this thing shouldn't be said in the pulpit. He said, you are too heavily minded that you are of no earthly use. Anytime he said that, it, that's, it, I just felt that mm, this is an insult to God. Constance, you are looking at me. I know you know who I'm talking about. I won't mention his name. You are too heavily minded that you are of no earthly use. This is not from God. Because it contradicts what scripture is telling me here that I should set my mind, my affection on things above. So why do you tell me I'm too heavily minded that I'm not, of, 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 how can you say that? Please, don't join them to say that. Hallelujah. Be heavily minded. Once you're heavily minded, you will be of earthly use. Yeah. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse 3 says, for you died. The King James says, for you are dead. A dead goat does not fear cut glass. You are dead. Dead to what? Dead to sin and alive in Christ. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is the reason why I said that if somebody wants to kill you, they have, they have a big job to do. They must first kill God, kill Christ before they can kill you. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. Say, I'm unkillable. Witches cannot, look, if they, want to, if they want to eat you up, they must eat God first, eat Christ first before they can eat you up. And since they cannot eat God nor eat Christ, they cannot eat me up. I'm unkillable. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Bible says that in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. We are not, a, we are not alone. We are surrounded. Say, I'm surrounded. When you are going on a journey, don't say, hey, I don't know what's going to be following me. Hey! He said he will give his angels charge over you. Glory be to God. Look at verse 4. That's where I'm going. When Christ, who is our life? Jeez. I like this statement. When Christ, who is what? Our life shall appear or the new king james says appears when christ who is alive appears then you also will appear with him in glory this is the revelation i was given in the other scripture that life is what will take us from here not death christ is our life please let's work work towards life not death because death is not goes to death is an enemy it is only because people have chosen to resign to death so god will allow it but originally his program is to take us from here by life, not by death. Yo. The church must change this theory. I don't like it when I hear from the pulpit that it is appointed unto man to die. You will see it from the scripture. Okay, let's go to Romans. No, before we even go to Romans, look at Hebrews chapter 9. I will show you. You understand why I'm, I'm angry from the pulpit. Because we must change this thing. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9 verse 27 and 28 Jesus Christ thank you Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 28 okay I'm reading from the King James version but it's the same even in the King James Bible it says and as it is appointed for men to die once is it a comma or is it a full stop so how do you now make it a categorical statement that it is appointed unto men once to die? Then you stop there. Please, why don't you look at verses of scripture in context than to just misquote and apply it and you can misapply it and you can, that is why the Bible says not many of us should become teachers, James tells us because we shall receive greater condemnation. We have used the pulpit and wrong teaching to keep people in imprisonment and making them expect death instead of expecting life. Yo, this is a warning to the 21st century generation and the 21st century church, I'm telling you. And as it is appointed for men to die once, 
But after this, the judgment is a full stop. I'm asking, is it a full stop? So, comma. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. In fact, in the new King James, there's a full stop. But in the King James, after many, there's no full stop. Take, check your King James and you see it. It's a semicolon. I like that. In the King James, it's a semicolon. But here they put full stop. But of course, the statement up to full stop is okay. But the point I want to make is the next line in verse 28. He says, look at it. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. To, to which people? To which people? Who are those Christ is going to appear to? To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear the second time apart from sin. What does that mean? In other words, he is not coming to deal with sin. When he came the first time, he came to deal with sin. In fact, he carried our sin. He died our death. He went to hell in our name. This time around, he is coming to consummate salvation. We are saving our spirits. We are being saved in our souls through the renewing of our mind. So when he shall appear, this time around, it is to consummate the salvation by changing us in our bodies. Those who are dead will be raised first. Then we shall be changed and together we shall be caught. It is to those who eagerly wait for him. The King James says to those who look for him. We are looking for everything apart from looking for his coming. We want to get everything in this life, but we are not waiting for him. We are not eagerly. Look at the word. It's eagerly waiting for him. Not just, okay, also, Baba Omra. Omra. That is not the attitude. It must be, come, Lord Jesus. I desire your coming. Come, oh Lord, come. When will the church rise to pray that prayer? Come, Lord Jesus. We'll find out from scripture why we should pray that prayer. Hallelujah. Are you there? So, all I'm trying to say is that God's method for taking us from this life is not through death, but through life. And it is to those. Did you see that it's not every believer who per se may be caught in the rapture? Because if you're not looking for him, chances are that you may be caught unawares. You. So please, when you are hoping for everything in this life, add this hope also. This is the believer's hope. Add this one. Make your life complete. Don't just live for this life. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, I'll show you something. 1 Corinthians 15 shows us something. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. Are you there? Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only, take note of the word only, someone say only. If in this life only, only we have hope in Christ we are of all men most pitiable the King James says most miserable okay let's do some analysis here child of God scripture never said if in this life we have hope in Christ is that what he said if you remove the word only you have misapplied scripture in fact you have misquoted scripture he says if in this life only so if you read it this way, if in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If you read it like that, then you are trying to say that it is wrong to have hope in this life. But that's not what the Bible is saying. It's okay to have hope in this life. That's what I started by saying from the beginning. For instance, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17, okay, you can write it down and later on make reference to it. 1 Timothy 6 17, Paul said, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. The riches we have, Bible calls it uncertain. In other words, you can have it today, tomorrow you can lose it. It's uncertain. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. In other words, proud because they have what? You have all the fat, fat, fat millions of dollars and millions of pounds in your bank account. So that is what has made you so proud and cocotty. He says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to do what? To enjoy. Somebody say to enjoy. I'm just telling you the will of God. It's the will of God for us to enjoy. It's okay to enjoy. Enjoy your home. Enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your business. Enjoy your career. Enjoy your finances. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. What I'm teaching is not to say that, okay, if that's the case, then from today, I'm just going to lock myself in some room somewhere. I'm waiting for Christ. I'm not going to work. 
you 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 deserve koboko. We need to whip you. Because he who does not work, let him not eat. Let's balance the truth. So don't say that, ah, oh, preacher says that from today. I'm not going to, so, I'm so, because I'm waiting for Christ, so I'm just in the corner somewhere waiting. Do you know some people have done that in the 20th century? There were people in the US, for instance, a man, I may not mention his name, who carried people and locked them somewhere and said that because Christ is coming, they are not supposed to work. They stayed there until finally, what happened to all of them? I don't know whether he bends them or whatever. They, they, all the people perish. Don't behave like that. That's ignorance. My people perish because they don't know. Hallelujah. So, in case you are here and you are saying that the preacher is saying that I should not go and work because I'm waiting for Christ. That day, we will have to come and whip you and tell you that scripture also says that he who does not work, let him not eat. So, you are living in that room thinking that we should bring food for you to eat. Go out there and work. Once you live in hope of his coming. Hallelujah. In other words, whatever you are embarking on, whatever you are doing, don't let this hope be substituted with anything. You are living in hope of a better future. In case maybe your accommodation, hmm? your accommodation is said that when you sleep in that room, it's like you are sleeping in Kukobo. You know Kukobo? Do you know Kukobo? How do you say it in English? Henku. Yeah? I'm telling you, sometimes when you go through life situation, you can, you can feel so miserable that, ah, so why am I going through this? Why am I living in this in Kukobo? There's no window. There's no ventilation. When you go in, there's no light. When you go into that room, even your leg, mm, when you lie one way, your leg hits you know, the door, so that you have to now quell yourself. In case that is your experience, please don't give up. There is hope. Hallelujah. One day, God can move you from Nkukobo to a better room. Into a mansion. Hope for it. There is nothing wrong with it. But don't live in hope of that alone. For if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We are of all to, men to be pitied. Hallelujah. Alright. Let me show you something in, in, in Romans chapter 8. I'll quickly read through verse 18 through 25. But one day we can teach it in detail. Romans 8 verse 18 through 25. For I consider, some say I consider, that the sufferings of this present time I don't know who I was talking to. That's why I've come to Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So, in case a child of God is going through sufferings, I don't know what sufferings you may be going through. It may be in your physical body. Maybe you are in pain. Do you know there are people who go through challenges until they lose a portion of their body? Don't consider that then it means that you know some people can go through a, a particular ill health condition and doctors have to amputate a portion of their body. It doesn't mean that in the life to come you don't have a leg or a hand. You shall have a new leg. You shall have a new hand. This is the hope of the believer. Hallelujah. Or maybe you are going through hardship. Everything you invest seems not to work out. Why am I going through this? There's hope. Hallelujah. I consider, I reckon I consider, the King James says, I reckon, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. There's glory that's going to be revealed. Verse 19 says, for the endless expectation of the creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Listen, all of creation is waiting for us. All of creation. Verse 20. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility. Did you hear that? Not willingly. They were not willing, but God says that, hey, because of the fall, let me put everything onto futility. What does that mean? But because of him who has subjected it in hope. In other words, when man fell, do you know what happened? The glory that I said we see and we enjoy. Do you know in Isaiah 65, verse 17, for instance, Isaiah calls this one former. Somebody say former. When we say something is former, it means that it's past. And also, so as far as God is concerned, this world is former. He said, the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Okay. Before we finish this verse, let me show you Isaiah 65 verse 17. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll come back to Romans 8. Let me show you Isaiah 65 verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Hey. Why? Because of the glory of the new one. 
You know, if you remember that there was once an AC sitting somewhere chilling our body, because the AC that may come in the world to come, it will not be standing here, it may be coming from your hair. <laughs> Hallelujah! Are you there? Or the mobile phone that we'll be using, I'm telling you, you see how technology has advanced. It still cannot be compared with the glory of the one to come. He said, behold, I create a new heaven and new earth and the former. So, as far as God is concerned, because God does not live in time, God lives in eternity. So, he has already seen this one and he calls it former. Why do you call present when God calls it former? Don't live for this former. Live for the one to come. Let's go back to Romans 8. Hallelujah. Romans 8. Where did we reach? Verse 20. For the creation was subject, subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Creation is waiting its deliverance. What we see and we admire so much, God is saying, this is not the true beauty, oh. The real one will come. When we have put on our glorified body, creation will also be delivered. Look at verse Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Do you know labor with birth pangs? It's like we want to deliver. We want to deliver. The creation is pregnant with the new. But because we have not yet put on our glorified one, creation is in labor till now. Creation wants to see. It's like this is not how we're created. The, 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 which tree can you talk about? Which tree is beautiful? Which which tree? High, high biscuits or which, which tree can you say? Who said, oh, look, you people admire me, but it's nothing. I am longing to be revealed. I have something better than what you people are admiring. Creation is saying that, hey, this is not how I was created. I have been subjected to depression. The Greek word is depression. It has been depressed. The beauty of creation has been depressed. So what we admire, God says it's nothing. And that's why you not remember this one or let, let it even come to mind. By reason of the new one, to come. Say thank you Jesus. I love you Lord. Look at verse 22 again. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit. We who have tasted of the spirit. We who have received the Holy Spirit. We also, look at what happens to us. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption. The redemption of our body. I don't know why this generation is not eagerly waiting for this. We have just left it as neutral. You know, it's like, okay, anytime God wants to do it, he can do it. But the point is that there must be an eager waiting. Eagerly. We also, who are the first fruits, we eagerly waiting for the adoption. And what is that adoption? The redemption of the body. For, verse 24 says, For we were saved. I like, I like this one in New King James. The King James didn't put it well. For the first time, I find something wrong with the King James rendering. The King James says, for we are saved by hope. No. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. We are not saved by hope. Hallelujah. Rather, he says, for we were saved in this hope. In other words, we were saved to live in this hope. So a child of God who has been saved and is not living in this hope is hopeless. He is to be pitied. That means that you're only living for this life Oh yeah, more born. In fact, let me not say we crossing but oh yeah. Hallelujah. Mm, because what you will cherish and you want to hold on to is nothing compared to the one to come. For we are saved in this hope. We were saved to live in this hope. Child of God, live in this hope. That is the believer's hope. We were saved in this hope. Then said, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for that which he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. This word keeps coming. We eagerly wait, eagerly wait, eagerly wait, eagerly wait. Not just waiting, but eagerly wait. Not waiting and crying, but eagerly wait. Father, it doesn't matter what I go through. Look at the founding fathers of Christianity. Look at the days after the, the dark ages when they had to pay the price. Some were burnt. But while they were burning them, they, they just said, oh, you can kill this body. They did it with rejoicing. Read the stories. Some were eaten up by lions. Some were pierced with sword. Some were thrown from a hill and they were just released 
unto a valley. Yesterday we saw that someone like John, the apostle, who wrote the book of Revelations, we're going to go there very soon. John, how he got the revelation was that he was fried in oil. Did you hear that? He was done. He was fried in oil. A whole pan of oil. They fried him hot oil. And the man still didn't die. And they said, ha, this man, he, we don't know what to do with him. Then they threw him in, onto the island of Patmos. But over there, the Lord revealed from chapter 1 to chapter 22 of the book of Revelations. Turn to the book of Revelations. Let me show you what John, how he concluded that book. And I'm with that. I'm concluding with that. Hallelujah. Revelations 22. My father, my father, let this generation hear your cry. That we will have a longing. There is a longing that only God can feel. That we will have a desire to see him. That we will long to know him. To be like him. That we will not only live in hope of this life. But in hope of the life to come. Revelation 22. The verse 20. Hallelujah. John the apostle was given all these revelations after he was beaten, stoned, fried, everything. The man didn't die. And God showed him all these things. But look at how God ended with us in Revelation 22 verse 20. John says, he who testifies to these things says, that is Jesus. He is the one who is testifying to the things that he has written in the book of Revelations. He says what? Surely, I am coming quickly. Hallelujah. I know somebody will say that, ah, but 2,000 years ago, and it still not happened. When we treat repentance from dead works, you will see that it is simply because he does not wait that anybody should perish. Hallelujah. So when he says, I'm coming quickly, he is ready. But we are not ready. Let me show you why we are not ready. Look at the next line. Someone say, what is the next word after quickly? Amen. If you have, when any of the modern, I mean, uh, good Bible, you will notice that Surely I am coming quickly is in which color? It's in red. Meaning, John is quoting the master, Jesus Christ, okay? So it is Jesus who is saying, surely I am coming quickly. And the amen is not in red. Meaning, it was not Jesus who said amen, but it's who? It's John. But John was inspired by the spirit to say amen. Meaning the church is supposed to follow John's example by saying amen to I am coming quickly. And even added by saying what? Even so, come. Lord Jesus. What did I say? Even so. But you know what we do in our generation? When we hear Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. He said, Ah! that according to Ephesians chapter 5 marriage is only a shadow of the relationship between Christ and his church why do you settle for the shadow when we have the real am I forbidding marriage no in this house we will have more marriages than anywhere in, the, in this world Millicent I like your amen oh put your hands together for this sister because it shall happen hallelujah I'm not condemning marriage what I'm trying to say is that in the midst of desiring marriage in the midst of desiring breakthrough we should still be saying, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Someone say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Can I say this? The generation that keeps crying that cry, they say it means Maranatha. Someone say, Maranatha. Maranatha means, come, Lord. The generation that is crying that cry is the generation that we see is coming. He is already ready. He's been ready a long time ago. When he said, I am coming quickly, he has been ready. But we were not ready. We were not ready and we've not been ready. But I pray that as an end time prophetic ministry with a passion to help this generation work with God and prepare a people ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus. We will cry this cry with John and say, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Stand to your feet somebody.